Welcome to Health Unabashed, the show that is unapologetically passionate about health and wellness innovation that promotes a sustainable and equitable healthcare delivery and financing system. Hosted by digital health advocate, author, and global thought leader, Gil Bash, the show looks at the thought-provoking ideas, people, and companies that are making a difference. I'm Greg Masters, the executive producer and co-host of the show, and join Gil as we engage top industry talent who share their insights and best practices to create sustainable change. On today's show, our guest is Craig Lipset co-chair of the Decentralized Trials and Research Alliance, also known as DTRA, and the former head of clinical innovation at Pfizer from 2010 to 2019. Craig has been at the forefront of innovation in clinical trials and medicine development. For over 20 years, he has been leading the transformation of clinical trials, pioneering new approaches to bring research closer to patients and accelerate new cures with leading-edge technology. He currently serves as co-chair of the Decentralized Trials and Research Alliance, DTRA, a new nonprofit collaboration he launched in 2020. DTRA is the world's leading initiative to ease the burden of research participation, advancing the adoption of new technologies and approaches to enable patients to engage in research in more flexible and accessible ways. DTRA members include a remarkable group with membership spanning the FDA, Pfizer, United Healthcare, CVS, Amazon, IQVIA, Stand Up to Cancer, and beyond. And with that introduction, Gil, over to you. Greg, thank you so very much once again for the amazing and gracious introduction. And again, I urge all of our listeners to tune in to Greg's show with Fred Goldstein, Pop. Health Week. Fantastic show. Greg is, as many of you know, really one of the founders in this nation on the conversations around population health and um, keeps us going. He's also working still on the front lines of population health on the West Coast. So, Greg, I just want to salute you, our executive producer for Health Unabashed. And today we have a very, very special guest. I say special guest because uh, Craig Lipsit, who is today really one of the leading counselors to the health innovation industry. That includes, obviously, the biopharma sector, the medical device sector, digital health sector, uh, really at the cutting edge, at the cutting edge of bringing patients closer to the conversation about the future of health innovation. And I want to start with a quote that Craig once said, we were in conversation, much like we will be today. And I was talking about patient engagement and, um, and patients having, people with health concerns, having a seat at the table. And Craig paused for a second and he said, seat at the table, it is their table. Craig is expansive. I wanna share with you just a little bit about his background, but we're gonna get into conversation about it. Craig is an epidemiologist in training. He worked diligently under one of the great neurologists, cardiologists, uh, who my prayers and thoughts go out to right now, Ralph Sacco. Uh, Ralph, wherever you are, we're thinking of you right now. He worked with Ralph at Columbia for some years. He um, was later at Pfizer as their chief of clinical innovation. And 
Craig is really expansive. He see th sees things from the patient's point of view, the caregiver's point of view, from technology's point of view, and obviously the sponsors, the innovators' point of view. And he did some very breakthrough work some years ago in a published trial called Remote. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with the Remote trial, maybe Craig will share a little bit more about it. It was a trial that Pfizer was sponsoring with people participating from remote. And the trial was breakthrough, not because of the clinical data that it contributed, but because it, it paved the way for innovation and participation to become possible. From Pfizer, I had the privilege of sitting next to Craig at a conversation about the Cancer Moonshot Initiative, which was moderated and hosted by our current president, Joe Biden. And from that moment, we became steadfast friends. And interestingly enough, our paths have crossed lovingly again and again. I want to welcome Craig Lipset to Health Unabashed. Craig, welcome. Gil, it is such a pleasure to be here with you. I always learn from you. I always enjoy the conversation. And I am really delighted to have this opportunity together. And thanks so much for the kind words of the intro. I do have to mention that um, I believe it dated back to the White House having the Precision Medicine Initiative, and we were doing a series of workshops around the country to try to better understand how to engage more diverse communities in research at a national level. And it was there that uh, somebody had put out this, this statement almost in passing about inviting patients to the table. And I heard, I think it might have been Sharon Terry from the Genetic Alliance, who brought back that observation of who said it's your table anyway. And it has just stuck with me. It's really, it's really inspired me in so many ways. It is such a great grounding perspective because when I was at Pfizer and I would spend time with peers from different pharma companies, I would hear over and again how proud people were that we're inviting patients to the table. We're inviting them to the table. And the the sentiment is good. It's a, it's, it's a positive intention. But when you think about the details around it, it really does matter. It signals that we're not peers. This is my table. I might have saved you a seat. Maybe it's a kid's seat. Maybe it's a full-size seat. Maybe it's at the head of the table. Maybe it's, you know, way off at the end. But it 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 indicates that there's a, a lack of parity, a lack of equity. And I think we're beyond that today. And we can really look at ways to better partner and to share that table. And we can talk more about what that means. But I'm also so grateful that you called out um, Ralph Sacco, our mutual friend. And I learned so much from Ralph in the earliest days of my career. So many people have benefited from him, both as uh, researchers and clinicians, but obviously the patients that he has impacted directly and indirectly through all of the people that he's inspired and trained through the years. So thank you for calling absolutely, out his name. Absolutely. You know, Craig, from, from Pfizer, you uh, took a very bold move that obviously we appreciate tremendously today. You um, chose to um, step away from Pfizer and become a counselor to industry. Uh, you have many roles. You sit on many different boards of, of innovative companies, some amazing companies I'm privileged to bump into. So I know that they're amazing. You your, your being part of it is sort of affirmation, good housekeeping seal of approval. And then I meet them and I say, wow. And then I hear that you're involved and I say, now I know, wow. Um, but you're also co-chair of a group that has become very, very important um, because of the 
Well, the collaborate, the culture of collaboration, it's called the Decentralized Clinical Trials Research Alliance, DTRA.org. And um, from a dream that you and Dr. Amir Kalali had of creating a forum for companies, regulatory agencies, patient groups, um, uh, CROs, cl clinical research organizations, to actually unite and talk about the future of drug development. And I think that only people like yourself and Dr. Kalali could actually be at the helm of such an organization because you both symbolize the potential of how drug development can help, but also, well, you exhibit that collaborative experience, experience and spirit that brings people together. And I, I'm wondering if you could go back in time a little bit to the time you and I sat together in New York City and you said, um, you know, um, hey, my name is Craig Lipsit. I'm, I'm currently with Pfizer. I'm going to be leaving Pfizer. I'm I'm going to go off and be a counselor to industry. Could you talk a little bit about that for a second? Boy, I, I remember that time, that conversation we were in, that we work in lower Manhattan, Gil. And actually, one of the topics I remember- We were, we works, we works offices before COVID. <laughs> now, one of the topics I remember that was a common interest to us even back then was around the ability for patients to not only be able to access and have greater transparency around where their health data is going, more control over with whom their health data will be shared, but even the potential, that future state, for patients to be able to participate when their data is being monetized. Because whether people know it or not, your health data is serving a greater good but sometimes in the course of serving a greater good, there are financial transactions. There's money being uh, changing hands. And it's done in a legal and compliant way, but not necessarily with the inclusiveness of the patients from whom that data was first sourced. And so that, I remember, was one of the uh, interesting conversations that first brought us together. Now, this notion of decentralizing research that you brought up and the collaboration that I have the, the great pleasure to, to co-chair today uh, is really a space that predated the pandemic, but certainly uh, it was the silver lining of the darkness of the pandemic that really brought it to light as a solution rather than being looked at as scary change by a cautious and risk-averse industry. We use this term decentralized trials, which can seem like a mouthful, but in short, this is just using technologies and approaches that let people participate in research from wherever they may be, from places that make the most sense for them, wherever they may be in their particular journey. Traditionally, a clinical trial does involve a fair amount of travel and burden for people. They have to miss work and travel a great distance to an academic research site. Some of them are traveling across town, some are across the state, some may be traveling across the country, and they have to keep going back for each visit, one after the other. We decentralize clinical research, meaning that it's no longer requiring you to go to a center but instead, it's distributed. You can participate from most anywhere. And what's cool is that work did predate the pandemic. I worked on the first fully decentralized trial that you mentioned earlier, the remote trial at Pfizer with an awesome team. And that was about almost two decades ago. Um, so it really was work that 
clearly had been around for a while, but it didn't really see a tremendous amount of meaningful adoption. Now, during the pandemic, risk was introduced like never before into how clinical trials were running. We had patients around the world in research studies for every disease area, and every one of those studies was placed in jeopardy because patients couldn't get to a research site to get access to the medicine in those trials, which might have needed injections or infusions. They couldn't be monitored properly for efficacy and, importantly, for safety. And so decentralizing those studies, enabling people to participate from remote locations was a key way for us to mitigate the risk in the environment. And now coming out of the pandemic, it's going to remain because we've removed so many of those barriers, because we've built experience, and because through the Decentralized Trials and Research Alliance, we've built a community where teams can collaborate and work together to make adoption easier. And Gil, I have to thank you for being uh, a founding member of our board of directors. And it's through that leadership and some uh, other fabulous people in the industry working with you that we have the proper leadership and stewardship for this to happen. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Health Unabashed on Healthcare Now Radio. Our guest is Craig Lipset, the co-chair of the Decentralized Trials and Research Alliance, DTRA, and former head of clinical innovation at Pfizer. Well, you're, you're very kind, but of course, I think all the, the credit, not I think, all the credit goes to you and, and Amir um, because of your um, nonpartisan outlook, your inclusive um, ability you you just have great expansive sort of like approach to welcoming both big biopharmaceutical companies, small innovators, all participating, all feeling they have voice. I think that the membership of DTRA today, if I'm not mistaken, you know, is heading near 200 different institutions and companies. Um, is that correct? It's not quite 200. It pretty much levels out about 125, 130 organizations, which which makes sense for us. Because when you think about it, it is the large pharma companies that are sponsoring research. It's CROs and technology companies that are critical to supporting the process. It's some large site networks and some health systems uh, like the VA and the Mayo Clinic and others, and a number of uh, cross-disease area patient advocacy groups working together. Now, this year, um, we are making a concerted effort to engage more immersively throughout Europe and throughout Asia. And so I do expect to see some new organizations coming in from some of those geographies. Uh, we want to really make sure that the communities on a global basis feel connected and can share and learn from one another. There will always be unique needs within a particular geography, whether because of regulation, policy, privacy rules, but also just culture and levels of comfort. And so we always want to make sure our approaches for research in general, and decentralized in particular, can bend and conform to those local needs. But there's so much for us to learn globally. I, I've got to ask you, at the last annual meeting that was held in Boston, very impressive turnout, but I, I want to ask you sort of a two-part question. Part one, I was super impressed that you had um, in the room and virtually, globally, representation from the Food and Drug Administration, from uh, EMEA, and from the Israeli regulatory authorities, sort of three mega hubs of health innovation 
together, which I rarely see in any form, that not, not that they're against each other. I usually just don't see them together in one conversation. And, and you're moderating this conversation with three great leaders who are championing, well, dr no, essentially health innovation review, safety, indication of use across the health ecosystem, whether it be you know, biologics or pharmaceuticals or health devices and technology. There you are with these folks. And I was just curious, was there is there any backstory? Are we just not asking them to participate in industry conferences? And when they're asked, they said, oh, of course, I'd love to talk about our points of view with industry. Or was it like, look, based on where you're going and where we need to go, we need to give you more direction. Can you give us any of the backstory? When we first did that remote trial at Pfizer now 20 years ago, uh, Pfizer put out a press release. It's still out there on the uh, on the wire on the on the websites. And in that press release is a quote from Janet Woodcock from the from the U.S. FDA. At the time, the communications team at Pfizer, when we were preparing that press release, uh, I told them, "Well, the FDA wants to put a quote in," and they laughed at me. They said, "The FDA doesn't put quotes in Pfizer press releases," and yet. There is a quote from the FDA in that press release announcing that study. The regulators want to be partners with industry in this. They want to show support and that their doors are open for innovation in responsible and thoughtful ways. There are some clear guardrails, some clear boundaries for us. Patient safety, data integrity. We can't push those boundaries. Those are, uh, those are essential barriers for us. But there's so much room for innovation in between. I was thrilled to have leaders from FDA, from uh, European regulators, uh, including uh, the, the leader for the decentralized trials recommendations from the European agency that came out just a few short weeks after our meeting, as well as uh, leaders from the Israeli Ministry of Health. And it was such an important opportunity for us to talk about where we are globally in normalizing these approaches, what types of guidance and expectations can industry have, and what do the regulators need that we're not giving them? What type of insight, invisibility are they needing to feel the confidence and the comfort with these approaches that we in industry need to step up and respond? Now, uh, our theme for that meeting really leaned heavy. Uh, this is the Decentralized Trials Research Alliance annual meeting that you mentioned in November of 22 over in Boston. Our theme was really to normalize these approaches, to stabilize this environment. We needed to hear from the regulators for that to happen. And we needed the voice of large pharma sponsors describing how they are making this normal in their organizations. What are the commitments that they have in place? How are they operating? differently. And they stepped up to the challenge with leaders from companies like Pfizer, Bristol-Myers, Utsuka, Beringer, Engelheim, and Sanofi sharing their stories on stage about how they are moving forward and committing to these smarter, thoughtful approaches for medicine development. Fortunately, all of those stories can be found on the DTRA website. So if folks are interested in seeing more, they should definitely take a look. So I want to ask you, uh, some two two really quick questions with the with the time we have left. One is about you, your efforts. You are a counselor to industry, and fortunately for industry, many companies are 
are taking you up on that offer. They're bringing you aboard. You're advising them. You're guiding them. Um, sort of tell me, look, you could have a hundred companies outside your doorstep when this show concludes. Um, what considerations are you giving and saying, yes, I will, I will, um, I will work with you because you have such experienced, expansive connections, great insight. Um, how do you make your decisions of, yeah, I'm going to, I have X amount of time. I'll take X amount of companies on to help them move forward. You know, just about every performance review that I've had in the last, you know, decade and a half in my past lives, uh, the criticism would say, Craig has a hard time saying no to good opportunities. Um, I have built my career around not saying no to good opportunities and finding a way to yes. But to your point, I had been applying three criteria for different opportunities that may come in front of me. Do I like the people? Do I believe in their mission? And do I believe that I can help them in the trajectory of their work to make it exponentially better? Um, now, that wasn't quite enough with those three criteria. And my friend and mentor, Frida Lewis Hall, former chief medical officer at Pfizer, had coached me to adding a fourth criteria Am I uniquely positioned to help that organization? In other words, if I have a Rolodex of 50 or 70 other people that could help that organization, let them bounce that opportunity to a friend that, you know, can, can help them just as well as me and really focus my energy where it is an opportunity that I am uniquely positioned to help to amplify. There are a lot of great folks out there that I could help. Um, and I certainly try to, but I'm also happy to help connect them with other resources that can do just as good a job and focus my energy where it's a little more uniquely right for me. And you know, I'm I'm very grateful to you. You 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 dedicate dedicate quite a bit of time to other organizations. I know that you're. I think you're involved with DIA and other organizations that you are often a, a frequent, uh, uh, whether board member, or speaker, you know, head, heading panels, helping them organize the conference itself. Um, you've had a tremendous impact on our industry. So I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about technology. You mentioned technology a few moments ago. And, you know, I see a lot of technologies that I find very exciting. Some of them are not cutting edge technologies. They're just technologies that are necessary. We're making better. So for instance, remote patient monitoring, wearables. I'm not going to get into to augmented intelligence or virtual reality, or augmented reality. Okay. That, that, that's for tomorrow. But today I wanted to ask you a little bit, what are your thoughts about technologies? We really have our handles, hand around these technologies. We know them, we understand them. Are we applying them sufficiently to the opportunities? And I'd like to get your read on what some of those technologies are and maybe one or two tweaks, not to the technology, but to our application of the technology we need to make. Thanks so much for this one, Gil. And, and I do get to spend my time working with a number of great collaborations. DTRA, of course, we talked about um, uh, on the uh, advisory board for HL7's Project Vulcan, which is a fabulous initiative to drive interoperability between healthcare and electronic health records back to clinical research, as well as with the IMI Trials at Home Project in Europe, as an example, to help make sure that that spirit of more flexible location 
applications transcends on a global basis. Now, I've heard some people, interestingly, um, interoperate between the phrase digital clinical trial and patient-centered clinical trial. A digital clinical trial is inherently more patient-friendly, more patient-centric. And I, to the point of your question, this to me is a huge failure to assume that by using technology and digital tools that we're doing something that is inherently easier or better for the patient. We have some great technologies and tools at our fingertips. And more often than not too often, um, we are deploying them in ways that add burden for research sites and confusion for patients. Um, so where people do it right, they're actively engaging and including patients upfront in the design and planning of their studies, including the design and planning of the digital tools that are right for their trial, including people in that design process. It's so easy to overlook. It's so easy for us to make assumptions that this technology is going to be great for this study. People want to engage, they want to share, they want to share their experience and to um, help us make these studies better. It's up to us to stop and to listen and to incorporate that input into the tools that we're looking to use. Should we be sending study devices out to every patient? Does every patient need another uh, phone handed out to them just because they're in my clinical trial? Or can I leverage the phone that a patient already may have and give them a different device only if they need one? What about a watch on their wrist? You mentioned sensors and wearables. If a patient is already wearing an Apple watch, do they need now another watch to participate in my study? Maybe they don't want to wear a watch at all and they prefer some other form factor, a bracelet, or something else, because they really like the watch that their grandfather gave them, and they've worn it on their wrist for the last 50 years. These are the human factors that it's so easy for us to overlook in our enthusiasm to bring more digital, to bring more technology into our studies, and overlook those human elements. It's going to require more smarts for us. Sometimes we might have to not just use one device in a study, but give people a little choice and flexibility in how they participate. That's harder for us, but burden is kind of like matter. It can be neither created nor destroyed. It just gets shifted around in different forms. Burden is the same way. And either we're creating burden for the patient or it's burden that we as research sponsors have to absorb. And I vote for option two. You know, Craig, at the very beginning of our show, I talked about your um, expansive approach to science, to drug development, to innovation. And I, I, I realize that at the core of that ability, that superpower that you have is you bring in the person, you bring in humanity at the beginning and end of your thinking process. When you're thinking about the person with their grandfather's watch or their, their preferences or going back 20 years ago, somehow or another, science has been given the gift of Craig Lipset and his keen, keen vision that why do we do this? We do this for people. Therefore, people, to the person you cited, people always have the table. They have the head seat at maybe not their table, our collective collaborative table. Craig, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us on Health Unabashed. Greg Masters, executive producer, host of other programs, 
friends, thank you so much for making this happen. Thank you all. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our special guest, Craig Lipset, co-chair of the Decentralized Trials and Research Alliance and former head of clinical innovation at Pfizer. Follow Craig's work at DTRA on Twitter via at Craig Lipset and at DTRA org respectively and on the web at dtra.org you can learn more about health and abashed on the program page at healthcarenowradio.com we air weekdays at 10 30 a.m 6 30 p.m and 2 30 a.m eastern or 7 30 a.m 3 30 p.m and 11.30 p.m. Pacific. Do keep the conversation going with Gil and me on Twitter by connecting with us via at Gil underscore Bash. And that's B-A-S-H-E and Greg Masters MPH. And that's Greg with two Gs. And do remember to tag your tweets with the hashtag HealthUnabashed. Until next time, stay unapologetically passionate about improving health. Yeah.